to these words from Job 26. Take a moment to prepare your heart to worship this morning. Um, if you want to bow your head, close your eyes, and just listen to these words talking about the wonder and the majesty of God. Job 26 says, He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stilled the sea. By his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Listen to what he says in verse 14. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Just that thought that all the mighty, amazing things that we witness uh, of evidence of God, Job calls them but a whisper of who he is and just the outskirts of his ways. And so uh, we're here to reflect and, and remember what a great God we have. Uh, so let's uh, do that together as we sing. have a seat just a couple of announcements first of all if you're part of the Sunday school uh, age group uh, you're welcome to meet your teacher at the back of the room and head on up uh, for Sunday school time if you haven't had a chance to pick up the bulletin grab that I'm not going to cover every announcement in, the, in there I did notice that the uh, moms together group is meeting again on Thursday so that's a great opportunity if you uh, have young children, um, so check out the details on that. And um, we are getting closer to uh, summer. I know it seems early now, but we have a student who has an opportunity to go out for some uh, worldview training out in Colorado. So we're going to play a short video, and then Emma Durr is going to come up and just share a couple of uh, updates about an opportunity that she has coming up this summer. Man, life is hard sometimes. Have you guys bumped into that reality yet? Life is stinking hard. I think just the sense of worth has always been hard. If you only knew what I viewed two weeks ago, if you only knew what I saw, surely <laughs> that precludes me from, from the gospel. Surely that precludes me from the grace of Christ. We have created a generation who claims Christ but they don't hold to the claims of Christ. Are you gonna live for me? Are you gonna live for yourself? Everyone who I've seen who has answered, I'm gonna live for you, Lord, has taken small steps and has gotten bigger and bigger and bolder for their faith. If your trust is now in Jesus, God the Father is no longer your judge. He's your heavenly Father and you've been adopted into his family. Anything in this world that, that we're gonna build our lives on, it's going to fall incredibly short versus um, it, when we build and find 
our lives in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As soon as I came to Summit, just everyone was super nice, super inclusive, and I kind of looked around like, what's going on? Like, it kind of feels like you're in a dream. Everybody in, the, in our small group was just really willing to be open and vulnerable, and it was just really, really cool to be able to be real and have some other Christians that are desiring to, to develop their faith and just to, to just be able to talk about stuff. When we go home, you know, after Summit, like, what are we gonna do to change? What can we do that will not go back to our normal, busy lives and become dormant Christians? I think the impact of Summit is more than just in this building, in this community, in like wherever it's stationed. It's really like every single individual life you touch, we get to bring that home and we get to bring that back and like share that with everyone. So I think it's making like a super huge impact. I think you definitely could relate the Christian walk to climbing a mountain. In the Christian community, it's just as important that we walk through life together. So when we hit those steep parts and we're tempted to just go, I'm out, I'm done with this, or we start to slip, then we have others who are there to support us and help us and encourage us to carry on because we know that it is ultimately worth it. And so while sometimes the Christian journey can feel really hard, really difficult, those moments are actually some of the moments that bring us farthest. More than anything, as you go home, don't find yourself in what you do. Don't find yourself in the stuff you have. Find yourself in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. End of story. This is Emma Durr, and she's going to be involved in the Summit Ministries. And so why don't you just tell us a little bit in your own words about Summit Ministries. college students um, and it has a lot of like fun activities like a camp but it also has a lot of just different apologetics training and training about like controversial issues um, and how we should look at those and handle those from like a biblical worldview and perspective so yeah I think that's the basics of okay. it <laughs> so what what made you want to go to Summit Ministries then yeah so after I graduate high school I'm planning to major in social work and eventually, hopefully, become like a mental health counselor. And so because of that field that I'm going into, I feel like it's so important to like have that strong biblical foundation. And so I feel like Summit can be really helpful with that, especially in like the apologetics training and how to handle those harder not necessarily always agreed upon topics when they come up and so yeah I just feel like it can help me to know what I believe for sure help me have my sources straight and stuff like I can back it up if I'm asked questions and I feel like that'll just be a really good foundation to have when I'm going into college and learning about social work and in my classes and stuff like that so so what in particular would you like us to be praying for you about as you go? So one thing that's kind of been stressing me out about this is just the timing. It's kind of crammed right in between when I graduate and when I'm going off to council at a summer camp. So just that I could be present and have an open heart and mind and not be so stressed out about like what's coming next. Very good. Well, we'll be praying for you. Thank you. And, uh...
Well, well actually, let's pray for you right now. Okay. <laughs> Lord, I just pray for Emma. Thank you for her heart to uh, know your truth and, and be a light for you in this world. Just pray that you would give her uh, peace and presence as she goes in a very busy time in her schedule and her life. And I just pray for your blessing on her and the other young people that are seeking to know you better and be lights for you in this world. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Thank you. One other quick note with regard to that. The Creekside has given Emma a camp scholarship for this, but there's still quite a bit of expenses left for her and her family. So if you individually would like to help her out, you can just direct that directly to you or your dad or your mom. Or yeah, either way. Either way, it'll get to a good place. Okay, yeah, thank you. I guess she's trusting her dad will take the money and give it to her. So, it's good. Uh, I hope you heard that. If you want to help support her with uh, that ministry, please talk to them directly. That'd be great. They'd sure appreciate it. And uh, uh, we're glad that she's going. I've known a couple of other young ladies. I don't know that I've known any other young men, but I've known a couple of other young ladies that have gone to it. It's been very productive and very beneficial. For them, it makes a really big impact in their lives, let alone, you know, uh, climbing Pikes Peak or something might not be a bad thing either, but uh, that's just uh, part of the benefit. Um, I would like to just ask you once again uh, to be praying for my brother Anand and myself as we leave uh, this Thursday uh, for his, uh, his hometown, and uh, we're going to be spending some time in his hometown and uh, his wife Lois's hometown and uh, an another place near there. And we just would appreciate your prayers, first of all, for our, our health and for our safety and for meaningful and significant contacts and conversations, okay? Uh, meaningful contacts and conversations. We really want uh, uh, to be an encouragement uh, to all the people that we're able to, to see, okay? So I'll just uh, leave you with that. Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you so much uh, for your goodness and grace in our lives. And I come to you this morning, and I pray that your spirit would work powerfully uh, to, to raise up the, the needed funds for Emma to go. I pray that you would give her peace in her heart to uh, rest in your goodness wherever she's at that's where she's supposed to be in the moment and that she would make uh, full use of it at the time I ask that you would continue to work I pray for my brother uh, Paul Hoyce who who is uh, taken to the emergency room this morning we pray for you to comfort he and Gail we pray you'd strengthen and touch his body and bring healing to it and I ask now father that as we spend time worshiping a holy and righteous God through the study of your word that you would speak to our hearts and that you would work to transform our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Abuse and uh, misuse of funds and of people is kind of troubling if you're, you know, in the world. But in the church, it's tragic, and it's terrible, and it's something that shouldn't happen. And the stories of, and I'm not going to get into a lot of those stories, but the stories of pastors, the stories of church leaders, elders, and ministry leaders that have been guilty of abuse 
and misuse, verbal, emotional, financial, and, and sometimes even physical abuse. Sadly, there's a lot of them, numerous. And every one of them is, is, is tragic. But I didn't come up here to be doom and gloom. It's tragic, but God is still faithful. And as we turn the page, uh, so to speak, in our study in 1 Samuel, from that, uh, uh, that great and, and glorious story of, of Hannah's song of praise in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, and now we move along, and that gives way to God's housekeeping story, how he was keeping house in his own, you know, his own body of, of, of those who would call him Lord and Master by, by cultivating faithful leaders and calling out those who were fickle, losers. You see, we, we sing this song sometimes, it has the phrase, though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. It's a theme that we see in this next text in 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning with verse 11 and down through verse 36, where two divine actions inspire confidence that God is raising up faithful leaders and that he is reprimanding spiritual losers in spite of the wickedness that he finds among those who profess to be his followers. In other words, there are people who profess to be followers of Jesus who are acting like knuckleheads and they need to be brought to account and God is in the midst of all of it when it seems like it's overwhelming, he is still raising up those who would be faithful to serve him. And so if you have your Bibles or if you can reach under the pew in, in front of you, under the seat in front of you, uh, you can find a Bible or get it on your phone or your app or whatever. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. I'm just going to read down through verse 26, beginning with verse 11, and then we'll walk through these two divine actions that inspire us to know that God is at work. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest, now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with the three-pronged fork in his hand, and then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force." Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a, as a boy, wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. 
Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate before him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and with men. Two different divine actions that God employs to give us confidence. And the first one is that our God's, uh, we see God's persistence, persistent provision of spiritual and faithful spiritual leaders, okay? Three scenes in, the, in this section, verses 11 through 26, show us his steadfast preparation, his steadfast provision of leaders amidst the perversion that's going on in the culture at the time. Okay, first of all, we see that God, God's chosen serve, his chosen serve, and the corrupt sin while they're sinning. Notice the text says in verse 11, Elkanah went to the home at Ramah and we're concluding the story of his birth and dedication and now it transitions, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli. What boy? The boy Samuel, okay? He is ministering. He served before Eli as his understudy. Eli is the high priest. And it concludes the the glad story of Samuel. And it introduces us into the sad story of Eli's misbehaving sons. And so throughout the text we see this contrast. Between the rise of Samuel and the demise of Eli and his sons who are wicked. His life contrasts that of the sons. Who are immediately introduced in verse 12. As what? Worthless men. Not just useless, but wicked. Okay, that's the essence of the meaning. They aren't just useless men, they're wicked. And the text goes on to declare they do not know that they didn't know the Lord. Pagan unbelievers masquerading as priests in God's house. Sadly, in the church today, there are too many spiritual leaders who are pagans leading the church. Unfortunately, it used to be that we had pagans in the pews and believers in the pulpits. Now, it's more that we have believers in the pews and pagans in the pulpit. It happens. And it's sad. Only those who are trusting in Christ... That he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and rose again conquering sin and death. Only those who believe that that Jesus are those who know God. We see it in 1 John 4, verse 7. These are the ones who are born of God and know God. And so we must be careful that we're following leaders that that's true of. It wasn't true of these. Now, I like the translation of, uh, in verse 13. I think the ESV handles it better when it says that the custom of the priests, okay? So it was the custom of the priests, which introduces the vices of Eli's sons, okay? 
It introduces the vices of their sons. They were guilty of violating God's word in regard to their priestly duties. They were in the, in the temple there, uh, actually the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. They were there and to conduct the, the rituals and to sacrifice for the sake of the people, but they were messing up. In, in, instead of taking only what belonged to them, and instead of offering to God what really belonged to Him, they were greedy. And in their gluttonous frenzy, they would, you know, you read it, I read it there, they'd stick the three-pronged fork in and take as much as they could out. They would take the meat, the raw meat, before it had been properly offered up to God and the, the, uh, the fat would be burnt off in a, an aroma of, of sacrifice to God, which is the way it was supposed to happen, according to Leviticus chapters 7 and uh, in other places, in Leviticus 7 mostly, okay? And finally, not only that, but then it's like, well, if you're not going to give us what we want, what are we going to do? We're going to whoop up on you and take it by force. And so they were bullying the people. And they despised, this is the Lord's description of it, they despised the offering of the Lord, which uh, uh, Anna and I are going to be flying. And uh, it's my contention that baggage handlers at the airport despise our luggage. You know, I mean, they, they treat it abusively. They treat it as if it's insignificant. And God doesn't want to be treated this way. God doesn't take lightly such blatant hypocrisy and apostasy, especially among those who are spiritual leaders. And we see this uh, again in Malachi chapter 2. I uh, asked that we could read this uh, description of God's condemnation of the priests at that time. For the lips of the priests should maintain knowledge and the people should speak uh, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. But as for you, speaking to the priests there, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have ruined the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I also have made you despised and of low reputation in the view of all the people, since you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. So here's the deal. They were guilty in Malachi of the same things or similar things to what Levi's or Eli's sons were guilty of here. They're leading people astray through their abuse and through their misuse of their office. And unfortunately... And I'm not going to name names, but there are many preachers and teachers and leaders in churches today who are abusing and misusing their, their bully pulpits and leading people astray from God's Word for personal benefit. Then we shift uh, and we see that God's chosen serve while the corrupt are scolded. This is verses 18 through, through following, okay? Now, the text begins, the repeated insertion. What do we read in verse 18? Now, Samuel. Where did we see Samuel first? Verse 11. Now, the boy, Samuel, verse 11. Now, we see him again. Now, Samuel was ministering before the Lord. And so, the, the deliberate insertion of the light of the boys, Samuel's faithful service, who also wore the priestly ephod, just like Eli's sons wore the priestly ephod, exposes the darkness of Eli's sons by way of contrast. And so all we see is there's Samuel serving before the Lord. Here's Eli's sons serving wickedly before the Lord. 
And so the boy, he's the contrast. And it says there in a, in a little display of affection that every year Hannah would make a little robe for her son. So it took her a year. She'd make a robe because every year she'd go up to see her boy. And every year he'd grow a little bit and she'd make him a new robe and make him a new robe. And what a, what a beautiful picture it is of the tender connection and affection between Hannah and, and Elkanah and, and, and Samuel. And then God blessed them with more children to replace the one that they had dedicated to the Lord. But as they did that, now look at verse 21. And the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. The boy Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Eli's sons were messing up before the Lord. Then we see in verse 18, now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy. A priestly boy wearing an ephod and he was growing before the Lord. And now we come back to confrontation. Celebration turns to confrontation in verse 22. And we see that there is this threefold confrontation. First of all, the revelation of sin in verse 22. Now, Eli was very old. I think it's important that he was old because uh, I can't prove this, but it seems to me that he wasn't ignorant of what was going on for a long time. Okay? And he was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing. He had heard that they were messing up. All right? So then there's this rebuke. He, he wasn't... He knew his son's dereliction, and he knew their debauchery, all right? And then verse 23, then he rebukes them, verse 23, and he said to them, why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all the people? Ha, all the people, guilty as charged. How many witnesses do we need to have to confirm a matter in the Old Testament? Two, we had many, so he was messing up. And then we see this rebuke. There is this interrogation, this act, you know, the, this question about, you know, why do you do this? Then there's the, the accusation, verse 24. No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. It is not good. No, that's um, a euphemism. It's awful, okay? It's awful. Not good means it's awful what you're, what you're doing and what you're perpetrating upon God's people. Corruption in God's house is not good. It's disgusting to God. It's disgusting to God's people. Unfortunately, some of you are aware of the, the sad, uh, grievous indiscretions of uh, a very, very world-renowned uh, ministry leader, uh, Ravi Zechariah, who was removed from his ministry leadership. Because of, his, because of his indiscretions. And so there is a necessity to hold leaders accountable for their actions. And then finally we see the caution in verse 25. If a man sins against another man, God will mediate for him. I mean, you know, if you sin against each other, then you can go to God and he can reconcile. But if a man sins against God, who's going to intercede? Is the question. Who's going to take care of that? Who's going to work on behalf of that person? It seems to me that willful, ongoing sin against God leaves us without an intercessor and removes, removes any presumption that we could be delivered from our sin. Except 
Look at the word mediator. Some of you remember this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we have one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Here, Eli says to his sons, no mediator, because you sinned against God. Ooh, they were out in the dark. But we have a mediator through the person and the work of Jesus who went to the cross and died in our place as our substitute so that if we put our faith or our trust in him, then we are able to be reconciled to God when it seems like we couldn't be in our own self. And that's the glory of the gospel to which this text, I think, at least points us. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he was delivered up on account of our sins and he was raised again in order to bring about our justification. He, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. What a blessed thought. So the question I have is, do you know him? Eli's sons didn't know him. Eli's sons had no mediator. Do you? Well, there's one available. But just because he's available doesn't mean you've availed yourself of him. You must personally put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did on the cross and turn from your sins and repent and trust in Jesus and accept his gift and sacrifice in your place then you have a mediator and can realize this what's the response Eli's laying it out there for him guys doesn't look good for you and what's their response it says they they didn't listen to their father he they didn't listen they didn't care now here's my take on on verse 25 because it says for the Lord had determined to put them to death and you're kind of going "Ooh, that sounds kind of spooky well God had a verdict. You're going to die. And the verdict was based upon their conduct, which was they were living in rebellion. And consequently, because God had had this verdict that they were going to die because of their sin, they didn't listen to their father. So that's how I would tease that out for you. It's a similar thing as we see in Romans chapter 1. God gave them over. God gave them over. Why did God give them over to their reprobate uh, activity? Because of their rebellion. Same thing here. Same thing here. And finally, we see that God's chosen keep growing physically and spiritually. Look at verse 26. What do we see again? And the boy Samuel was growing. Right? Before the Lord. He was, he was growing in stature and in favor with God and men. Mm. Makes me think of something. There's another person in the Bible of whom the exact same words are declared. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Now I have verse 40 up there too because it's a hint at it, same way. The person of Jesus. God is at work. Whenever it's bleak, God is at work to raise up His person for His glory and for His kingdom and for His church. He did it through Samuel. He did it through Jesus. He's done it many, many other times before, but not to this magnitude and not to this significance. It's an encouragement to me that Samuel's spiritual and physical progress is contrasted with the perversion of Eli's sons and his preparation and his progress mirrors that of Jesus. It pictures what the Lord provides for us and we don't need to despair. As bad as it gets, God is still good and God is still in control. And then we see this also 
that God is in charge and, and reprimanding the wicked and raising up the righteous in the next section of verses 27 through 36 are God's promised punishment of spiritual losers. I, I had uh, said spiritual um, leaders, but uh, they really weren't spiritual leaders. They were spiritual losers. Okay? They weren't leading anybody spiritually. They were leading them astray. And the assurance comes in the form, uh, in uh, scholars would say, it's a prophetic judgment speech. Okay, a prophetic judgment speech, verses 27 through 36. And first of all, it lays out the accusation. Okay, and so we see that our Lord proclaims the sin. And uh, it says here that uh, a man of God, excuse me, a man of God, who it was, I don't know. He was a man of God. Okay, leave it there. Good enough. A man of God came speaking God's words to Eli. Prosecution is now making their case. And he does through, so through a series of questions. Eli's words, uh, Eli was cross-examined, okay? Now, as I went through the text, as you go through the text, notice the prevalence, that means the the. the multitudinous indications of personal first-person pronouns, okay? I, I, my, my, me, I, my, me, I. God's asking the questions here. That's the emphasis. The implied yes answers to each question which it is implied, it's not given, but it is implied, the yes answer, stresses the reality and the gravity of their sins and the magnitude of God's mercy. So, it's a beautiful structure, the way God lays it out. I, I, my, my, I'm asking the questions. And you have to answer yes to each question. And when you answer yes to each question, you realize the gravity and the, and the depravity of your sin, and you realize the magnitude of my mercy that's been extended to you. Now, let's read the text. As we see it in verse 27, he says, Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, in bondage in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Exodus 2, Exodus 4, revealed that they are the sons of Levi, or sons of Aaron, who was a descendant of Levi. They were of a priestly, high priestly order. And did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel? How many people were in Israel? Multitudes, 12 tribes. I chose them. Did I not choose them from the tribes to be my priests, to go to my altar, to burn incense, to carry the ephod before me? And did I not give the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? I supplied you and I platformed you, and I provided all that you need to be my priest and to take care of yourself. A friend of ours, uh, they have eight kids. He told all of his kids, uh, I'll pay your tuition to college, but I'm not going to pay your room and board. I'm not going to pay for your books. I'm going to pay for your fun. I'll pay for your tuition. That's a pretty generous offer if you've ever stopped to consider what the price of tuition is in most places. But he didn't give them everything. 
but he gave them a lot. God is saying to the sons of Eli, to Eli and his sons, I have given you generously. And what did they do with it? They spurned him. Verse 29. Verse 29 says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me? By making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people. Wow. In light of God's mercy and in light of God's generosity, he wanted to know why. Why you, Eli, you and, and your sons, why you kick at means to despise his sacrifice. Do you know what it means if somebody comes and spits on you? That's the kind of thing we're thinking about here. It's like that's how degrading it was to God for them to kick at his sacrifices. They kicked at his sacrifices. God's charge? You honored your sons. Interesting word, honored. It's the Hebrew word kabod, which literally means weighty, heavy, metaphorically important. Okay? So you honored your sons, you made them weighty, and you made me light so you could get fat, literally. Understand that? Taking their greedy, gluttonous portions of the sacrifice, you dishonored me and made me light so you could be fat, important. Not a good thing. And I would say, uh, it's, you know, it was evident that they got that. By, by, by merely rebuking, and this is the, maybe an application here, by merely rebuking and not restraining or requiring repentance, or, which would include restitution, or removing them from their office, Eli showed that he was complicit in their corrupt activity. Now, stop there. If we only verbally rebuke, but we don't reprimand, we don't restrict, we don't require repentance and perhaps restitution or removal from position, those who are living in direct conflict with God, we're complicit in their corruption. Whew. That's not easy business. As believers... Especially spiritual leaders, and I'm speaking to those who are leaders in the church and those who are leaders in our homes, us men. We honor our church or family above God to our own peril. It's not easy stuff. If we allow unrepentant, ongoing sin to continue without confronting it. God doesn't mess around because we see not only does he rebuke it, not only does he proclaim the truth of their offense, but he punishes it, verses 30 through 36. Notice the therefore in verse 36. Therefore, in light of what's past, your wickedness, now the punishment. Points us back, points us ahead. Your punishment is coming. 
the wickedness of Eli and his sons, and he introduces the consequence. And then I love how God states the principle with which he acts and which, with, with which he governs his actions, not just with Eli, not just with Eli's sons, not just with Eli's and his sons, but also he soon will show us this with Saul and David, but with all human beings, this is how he acts. He says, I will honor those who honor me, and those who despise me I will lightly esteem. The consequences for Eli and his sons uh, for dishonoring God, we must make God heavy, (laughs) important, and we must be light. Not make ourselves heavy and God light. And the consequences that he lays out for them are in verses 31 through 33. Now, I intentionally didn't read them because the Hebrew text is so difficult that the translations we have in our English Bible are very, there's a disparate uh, translations. They're, they're different, okay? So much so that you're kind of going, well, I don't know. I mean, I've read the ESV, read the, read the New American Standard, and it's translated differently. But, hold on, it's not a bad problem, okay? It's not, not the end of the world because... The long and the short of it is, at the end of the day, the the consequences for Eli and his sons are are still clear. Regardless of the the nitty-picky translations that we go through, I want you to read with me verse 31. End of, of, of verse 31. And the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. End of verse 32. And an old man will not be in your house forever. End of verse 33. All the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. That's pretty clear. And I understand the consequences basically to be the brevity of life and the bitterness of life. If you looked at the text, you see there's the brevity, that's what I just said, and there is this bitterness in life. Because those who would live long enough to serve as priests would do so with weeping and graving of soul. And I didn't, that, that is part of verse 33, okay? They're grieving, bitterness and grieving of soul. The sign to prove that God will bring this brevity and this bitterness in their life is articulated at, at the end when he says, your sons, uh, verse 34, and this will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, on the same day. Both of them will die. I'm not going to be here uh, to hear this portion preached, but it's fulfilled in chapter 4, verse 11. Both of his sons died on the same day. Then in verse 18, Eli dies. Chapter 22, Almost all of the, the sons of the priests are slain in a, in a massive massacre. So we see that God is working to confirm his sign that they're in trouble. And then you see uh, the, the demise of Eli's house. And it's like, whoa, wow, we're in trouble right now. Now read verse 35. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will be do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. 
The demise of Eli's house gives rise to a faithful priest instead of fickle ones. Who's that faithful priest? Samuel. Samuel was ministering as a boy before the Lord. Eli's sons were acting like knuckleheads and, and stupid, doing stupid stuff before the Lord. And then we see again in verse 18, now the boy was ministering before the Lord. And then we see in verse 21, and, and the boy grew before the Lord. Then we see in verse 26, and the boy grew in, in, in stature and in favor with God and men. And then we see in verse 35 that he's raised up as a faithful high priest in, the, in contrast to the fickle priests of Eli and his sons. What does the text say he'll do? He'll do what is in my heart, God speaking. He'll do what's in my soul, God speaking. And then, guess what? He'll walk before me, my, he'll walk before my anointed. Oh, look back at verse 10 of chapter 2. Chapter 10 of verse 2. Hannah's song of praise ends with a mention of my anointed. And what is it that we find out as we go down through 1 Samuel that, that this Samuel was the one who actually anointed Saul. He anointed David. And so this text believed he walked with them his entire life. He was with these two anointed, God's anointed. And it points ahead to God's ultimate anointed, the Lord Jesus. The demise of Eli's house and the rise of Samuel will only be completed as we see in verse 36, only be completed, all right, when those who wrongly fatten themselves are in a position that they're begging for a job so they can get some bread. Huh. They went from fattening themselves to being beggars. That's not a pretty sight. And so for us, I want you to look at one more verse. Chapter 3, verse 1. Don't look at me, look at the verse. Now the boy Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Wow. There he is. We end where we began. The boy Samuel ministering before the Lord, serving, as a, uh, serving God as a reminder that in the presence of perversion, God is faithful to raise up his priestly ministry, raise up his people who will do his work for his kingdom, for his glory. And it will not be thwarted in spite of all that's going on. It also reminds us that he'll punish the bad ones and gives us a challenge that we should hold accountable those who are professing to follow Jesus, professing to follow God, that they are accountable before him. God is in charge and he will confront and curtail unrepentant sinners and he wants those of us who are spiritual leaders and believers to do the same and if you're here and you're listening online and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior take this to heart God's judgment began with the house of the Lord 1st Peter chapter 4 verse 17 you will not escape if his judgment begins with his house those outside of his house will not escape. And so I implore you to turn from your sin and turn and accept this mediator, this Jesus, so that you can know God and be right with him through repenting and turning and trusting in Jesus Christ and his death alone 
as the payment for your sin. And that's exactly what we do when we celebrate communion, is we remember that sacrifice of Christ on the cross to provide our salvation because apart from him we have no mediator. We have sinned against God. And we deserve his wrath. But in his mercy, he provided his son Jesus who died in our place so that all who would put their trust or their faith in him could be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. And so as you think about that sacrifice, you think about your own sin and how unworthy you are, you confess your sin and get right before God, and then you get up and you come either to the front or the back. You can take the elements back with you and take them or take them here, and then you celebrate if you're a child of God. And any person who's here this morning who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are welcome to take this table. But I challenge you and implore you to get your heart right with God. If there's sin, you know it, you need to confess it and get it right with Him. Because we see how He doesn't take lightly our sin. Let's pray. Father, I thank You what we can learn from Your Word and Your glorious Word and how You weave in throughout Your Scriptures the testimony of Your sovereign grace and mercy and also your divine holiness and judgment. And now as we prepare our hearts to take these elements, I pray that you would help us to understand how unworthy we are of what you've done for us and that we would realize that in sorrow and repentance. And then we would celebrate the joy of being your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.